Thank you very much, Brendan. And uh, it's great to be with you all tonight. I've always wanted to give a talk where I could sip on a beer at the same time. So cheers to all of you. Although the friars were upset that I ordered a blue moon instead of a good Guinness. Uh, but it's great to be here with you tonight. Uh, it's great to share a little bit uh, about my own journey. And um, what I'd like to share a little bit with you about tonight is the gift of the gospel as an integration of love and truth. I think in a culture and in a society where there's not really a great understanding of what either love or truth is or how they can go together. I've never given this talk before. I prayed about what I was to share and I felt to go in this direction so I might rely a little bit on my notes but um, hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak through me and encourage you in some way. In fact, before I keep going too far, I'd like to just say a prayer real quick. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you that we can be here tonight. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of our faith. We thank you for the gift of the gospel. We pray that you would, you would open our hearts to the gospel, which is love and truth. Love and truth in perfect and full integration manifest most clearly in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for everyone here. We thank you for everyone in this whole restaurant. We ask that you would bless them and be with them. Open our hearts to your love and be especially with those here tonight and those in the area in need of your love. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I've just been struck uh, over the past few years about how challenging it is to live the gospel. You know that too. And how challenging it is to live a gospel that calls us to love people very deeply, to try to meet them where they're at, and yet often to invite them to something fuller in their lives. My favorite scripture is John 10.10, 10, where the Lord says, I have come that you might have life, and life to the full. The Lord wants us to live the fullness of life. He wants us to live the fullness of who we are and the truth of who we are, and the love that we were made for. And yet, so many of us struggle to live with that in our lives. We live in a world that understands uh, the law, the law of God, the law of faith in a very negative sense. We live in a world that often believes love is a matter of simply tolerance or coexistence. We live in a world that often thinks the truth is simply relative. I'd like to speak to those things tonight. And yet, at the same time, we can't villainize the world because Christ is incarnate in the world, in the culture, and redemption is happening all around us. Uh, the Franciscan mystic Angela Foligno, Saint Angela Foligno, said, The world is pregnant with God. And I always thought that was a beautiful phrase. The world is pregnant with God. And the world, even, even in all its uh, sometimes sinfulness, flawedness, perversities, there's so much good. And if we can draw people to see that that good is really the presence of God, the presence of the Lord in the culture, we're really living that gospel. My talk tonight is also inspired by Pope Francis and some words he said in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelium Gaudium, where he said, All of us are asked to obey the Lord's call to go forth from our own comfort zone in order to reach all the peripheries 
in need of the light of the gospel. And I think that's a great call for us to go forth, to get out of our comfort zone, to go to the peripheries. doesn't necessarily mean far away. It may be right in front of us. I'd like to share a scripture with you from the Gospel of Matthew. I have a feeling it'll be familiar to you. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. A part of our gospel from yesterday's Mass. And what that gospel is really speaking about is that Jesus came to uphold the law, but also to transform it. Jesus Christ is the living word of love and truth, the gospel incarnate, the perfect integration of love and truth. And so Jesus came as this gospel reminds us He didn't come to throw the law out, but He came to call us to live it in a deeper way, to live it with love, to live the transformation of it. He wanted us to see that it's not simply about following the letter, but we have to reach to the Spirit. We have to go deeper into ourselves and deeper into who we're called to be, to see that really the law is about love. I heard a story from Dr. Ed Shree, Maybe you've heard that name. He's a theologian and a presenter. And he was talking about his young son, Carl. And he was saying that his son, when he was really young, was a climber. And maybe you've known little kids who climb on everything. Uh, You know, they're up on the counters. They're trying to get into the cabinets. They're on the tables, scaring their parents half to death. And they're always little daredevils. And his son was 16 months old at the time. And his son happened to be observing his older brothers and sisters as they were out on the monkey bars. And there was a little glint in his eye. He wanted to try it. He wanted to try those monkey bars. And soon enough, one day, Dr. Shri was working in his office in the house and he heard his other children screaming. They said, Dad, Dad, come out. Carl's stuck on the monkey bars. And he runs out thinking, how did he possibly get up there? How did he do this? And he runs out and he rescues his son, grabs him down, gives him a big hug, and then firmly says, you may not go on the monkey bars. Now, was he being, you know, was he on a power trip with his toddler? Was he inappropriate in that? Of course not. He set about a law to protect his son. He set this law forth out of love. And yet we struggle to understand that God's laws are not simply things that were made up, not simply things that anyone decided arbitrarily, but they are, in God's divine wisdom, the knowledge of what makes us flourish as human persons. 
And so when the church stands up for truth, when it stands up for the truth of marriage between a man and a woman, when it stands up for the truth of the dignity of the person from the womb to natural death, when it stands up for the person in any way, it's standing up to the truth that God formed and that God made, and that truth corresponds with love. And yet our, our, our culture sometimes struggles with that. We have a distorted no, notion of love. Love becomes tolerance or simply acceptance, no matter what. I don't know if you saw the Super Bowl ad by Airbnb. It was a very quick ad, struck me, and it flashed up people's faces on the screen. Lots of faces, lots of faces, and there were words on the screen, and I actually went to see the words today. And the words were, we believe no matter who you are, where you're from, who you love, or who you, are, who, or who you worship, we all belong. The world is more beautiful the more you accept. We accept. And I, I found that ad interesting because I felt ambivalent about it. Because I kind of knew what they meant by some of those statements. And I thought, there's some truth in that. Every person is good, created in the image of God. But I also heard a lot of, at least to me, a lot of moral relativism in that. I heard, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how you behave, just accept. Just accept a person. Just accept who they're at. And I think that they were trying to love, but without a full understanding of truth. The truth and the dignity of the person. Now, we can also have a distorted notion of truth. We can know the truth and yet not have love. Doesn't St. Paul speak about this so eloquently? You know, we can be like a clashing gong if we have all the gifts of the Spirit, if we have all the virtues, if we seem to be living a holy life, but we fail to love. We fail to reach out to people where they're at. We fail to recognize our own sinfulness and our struggle to live the truth in our life. And so I entitled my talk, The Gospel of Love and Truth in the Mess of Life, Lessons from the Trenches. I think the Gospel is living the truth in love. And it's not being afraid to go to those peripheries, to go to those places, to get out of our comfort zones, and to go where the Lord's calling us to go. To not be afraid, as Pope Francis says, he says it to the priests, he certainly means it for all of us, to get dirty a little bit. To get out there and to love people and to share ourselves with people in our lives. And the beauty of this is this is where redemption really takes place. If we want to be disciples of Christ, we need to follow Him. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, it speaks about Jesus having table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. And I don't think we think about this enough, that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. That Jesus, our Lord, saw the dignity of the person, and He went to them, He met them, He loved them where they were at, and He called them to even more than they were at the moment. And if we're praying to live the Gospel, I don't think we have to go far. We can go on mission trips, and they're great. But in our workplace, in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our churches, there are peripheries. There are people who are marginalized. 
There are people who are alone, who are isolated. There are people who are not loved. I wanted to share with you sort of three, you know, I've been a, I've been a, a Franciscan, as Brendan said, about 20 years now, and a priest about 10 years, and I've been really blessed. I love my vocation. A little segue, by the way. Um, I want to thank my brothers, Brother Zachary and Brother Rufino, for being here tonight, for their support. Thank you guys. It means a lot to me. Uh, Franciscan's fraternity is so important to us. We live in community together. We live the gospel together. We seek to support each other. And, you know, there's a joke that goes around that, that one thing God doesn't know is how many Franciscans there are. You've probably seen a couple different habits up here at Theology on Tap. You know, but we, we have this blessed call, like St. Francis of Assisi, to live the gospel life, to live the call. And I'm really grateful for my Franciscan, Franciscan vocation. Uh, to be a TOR, a third order regular Franciscan. Um, you know, sometimes people say to me, man, you gave up a lot. You gave up a wife, gave up kids, gave up the joy of sex, companionship. I'm like, yeah, I gave some big things up. And then I say, but the Lord has blessed that. The Lord has blessed that sacrifice. I am joyful. I am thankful when I wake up in the morning. I have struggles, but I'm grateful for my call and the fact that the Lord wants to use me in my life as a friar and as a priest. So that's just a little uh, segue. If you're ever thinking about a religious vocation, I encourage you in that. If you're thinking about marriage, I encourage you in that. If you're feeling called to be single for the Lord, I encourage you in that. The vocation, the fundamental vocation is holiness. Three trenches where I've had the blessing of trying, not always doing it well, to live the love and truth together of the gospel. Arthur Fishkill Prison in Long Island, New York. It's kind of an appropriate name for a prison, isn't it? It's kind of Arthur Fishkill. I never looked up who that is, but... I was asked by one of our friars, Father Matt Russick, I was asked to come and give a retreat to inmates at this prison. And I didn't want to do it. I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't think I'd really connect to prisoners. But I knew that the Lord wanted me to do it. And so I did. And so I went on this weekend retreat with my brother. And I was afraid. I was nervous. And we went on this retreat, and I really, really felt blessed connected with the men on this retreat. And we started to share our stories. And I led a small group at this retreat and really just kind of came to, wow, just oh, my eyes were open to the goodness of these men in front of me in spite of their crimes, in spite of, in spite of their sins. And there's this point in the weekend we, where this bell rang and all of a sudden, I didn't know what was happening and the people who worked in the prison said to me, you go on that side of the room. And they pointed the men in my small group to the other side. Well, what they were doing was taking a count to make sure all the prisoners were there. And I felt this, I felt this real strange feeling of, I want to be over there with them. Why am I here? I felt this strange feeling of like a unity with the prisoners. And I felt this strange feeling of, how is it that I'm here and they're there? And something really hit me in that experience, and that is, it's a fine line between great saints and great sinners. St. Augustine struggled deeply with sin, but became one of the greatest saints. 
And maybe many of us in this room have habitual sins that we struggle with and frustrate us. And yet God is working through that. And God is sanctifying us if we don't give up on His grace and His love. And that retreat taught me in a deep way that part of ministering to people is recognizing that they're closer to holiness than we sometimes recognize. And that we're closer to a sinful life than we sometimes want to admit. And so we need to be open to God's grace. A second experience in my life that has blessed me so much. A, a woman who I would say was like the persistent widow. She was trying to get priests to help her on a retreat. No one would say yes. So what she did was she opened the diocesan directory and just started going down the directory. My last name begins with S. She got to a lot of priests before me. And she said, we're having a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. It's a retreat for women who have had abortions. Would you come and help us? And I was usually pretty busy at that point with vocations work, but I had nothing that weekend. And I thought, yeah, I'll come. Again, I was nervous about this. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I went on this retreat. I went on this retreat with uh, five women who had had abortions. One who was 17 and had had an abortion three months ago. One who was 70 and had had an abortion 50 years ago. And I talked to them and I, most of all I listened to them. And this retreat is very beautiful. It's designed like the Paschal Triduum. On Friday night it's like the Passion. They tell their stories. They tell their suffering. They tell their heartbreak. On Saturday they go into that tomb and they allow the Lord to bring His power and His resurrection towards them. And on Sunday, you literally see the freedom and the life. You can't change the past, but you can experience healing from memories. There was two women who had had abortions who were part of the team. There was another woman who was a counselor. I was not only the only priest, I was the only man there all weekend. It was really, really beautiful for me because just simply being there, I got to be an instrument of healing an instrument of life, an instrument of grace. I'm so grateful for this ministry that the Lord has. If you know someone, a, a man or a woman, who's experienced abortion, please connect them to Project Rachel, Rachel's Vineyard. I'm sure our pro-life office can help with that. You know, It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And what I learned is, it doesn't matter how grievous the sin you committed, there's something much more important your incredible God-given dignity. Your incredible God-given dignity. And I learned something else. The truth will love you, and the truth will set you free. The truth will love you, and the truth will set you free. I saw, I saw the women on this retreat. I saw them share about how the men in their life had abandoned them. I saw them share about how they didn't want to get an abortion. Nobody says, I want to get an abortion. They're afraid. They're scared. They're confused. I was so ready when they came to the sacrament of penance to forgive them. Because I felt they had already done their penance. They had already lived their suffering. And they were seeking the Lord. And we get that grace in our life. Sometimes to work with people and invite people in that way. My last sort of experience in the trenches, there's many more just happened about a week or two ago. I was in Hendersonville, North Carolina. I took a little bit of vacation. 
and I went to visit Capuchin Franciscan friend of mine. Henderson, North Carolina is on the western side of North Carolina. It's on the border of Tennessee. My friend is the, one of the associate pastors of a church there. And the church is an interesting mix of people. It's uh, many, many people who are sort of snowbirds. They, they lived up to the north, and then they came down and settled there to get away from the snow and the cold. And then it's a large population of people, natives of Mexico, Mexican migrants, who are working in the apple orchards. My friend is from the Dominican Republic. He's the only Spanish-speaking priest there. So he was, he was ministering a lot to the Mexican migrants. I went down there, as we all are, thinking a lot about the issue of immigration in our country, thinking a lot about what was happening, and feeling really kind of conflicted about this, wanting to love uh, the immigrants, whether they're legal or illegal, but wanting to say, well, okay, shouldn't there be a justice here? We can protect our borders. And really struggling with that. And I heard the stories down there. I heard one of my friends, uh, his, a friend of his, Berta, tell the story of how scared some of the people are and how they're struggling right now. But what it made me realize, it made me realize and it made me do more research, and it made me seek to learn more. And I'm very proud that our bishops, our American bishops, I think are taking a very good and balanced stand on an issue like immigration, where they're calling for comprehensive immigration reform, but reminding us to love people, reminding us to protect and keep intact families. And I think that being Catholic really is beyond being liberal or conservative, it's being orthodox, which means being consistent with the teachings of the church with love and loving people. And that's not going to be easy. That's not going to be easy as we know. That's going to be a struggle. And so trying to live for me the gospel and love and truth at that prison, at that Rachel's Vineyard retreat in North Carolina, I'm not saying I have it all together, but it really made me kind of look at, okay, this is something I need to keep growing in and keep praying for, and not to be afraid to go to the peripheries where the Lord is calling me in life. I've been in a parish for the past about, uh, I guess, eight months now. And even though I've been a priest ten years, it's my first time in a parish. And boy, is it a, an experience. I mean, it's been wild. My first 10 years, I had like three baptisms. I had like 30 within two or three weeks. Uh, I've been working with married couples. I've been working with engaged couples. I've been working with people who were married and are divorced and are seeking annulments. I've been working with people trying to reconnect and seek the sacraments again. And so I've been trying to learn how do I love these people in truth? How do I speak and live the truth in love? And it's an ongoing struggle, and an ongoing sort of desire to keep growing in that. And I've learned a couple things through that. One thing I've learned is um, that people are not afraid of you challenging them if they know that you love them. They're not afraid of you saying something they disagree with most of the time, if they know that you really care and they can be open to that. And so I'd like to share maybe two 
ways that we're called to live the gospel of love and truth in our own journey. In our own journey. And the first is this. By God's grace, seek to live the truth in love in every encounter you have. I guess that's what I've been saying all along. By God's grace, seek to live the truth in love in every encounter you have. St. Paul says this. Rather, living the truth in love, we should grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, with the proper function, functioning of each part, brings about the body's growth and builds itself up in love. So as we live the truth in love, we grow into Him, Christ, who is our head, as we seek to live that love and seek to live that truth. How do we do that? We need to be kind. Kindness can't be overestimated, I think. Kindness, but with a willingness to challenge and to care. People don't care what you know, as it's said, until they know you care. It's a cliche, but it's really true. When people know that you care, they will listen, they will follow, they will trust you. Caring doesn't mean coddling. It doesn't mean we enable people doesn't mean we don't challenge people. We might sometimes need to do that. I'm working with an engaged couple, and I'm challenging them right now in some things. And sometimes I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, please, you tell me what to say. And make sure I don't speak when I should, shouldn't. Because it's hard to guide people and lead people in this day and age. I also think this is true in our own vocation. Discernment is a messy thing. At least it was for me. It wasn't a clean, straight shot. It wasn't easy. It wasn't without pain and tears. It was difficult. I came to the friars, not so sure what my call was, feeling I might still be called to marriage, having children. I said, I'll give it a try. Become Franciscan. I'll give, I'll give it a shot. I entered the life. I felt the joy of fraternity and the brotherhood. But I also went through some big trials at times. I even delayed my solemn vows. I was supposed to get have my final profession. It's kind of like your wedding is religious. It was a month away. I said, I'm not ready for this. People had flights booked. It was awkward. But I knew I wasn't ready. It took a year of prayer. I went through some counseling, experienced God's healing in my life. And then I was ready to embrace the vocation He was calling me to. Discern discernment is messy because it's a matter of love and truth. And sometimes that love is tough love. And sometimes that truth is disturbing truth. Where we have to really look at ourselves and our lives. And sometimes we don't take a straight shot. It weaves and meanders and winds. But I do believe if we love the Lord... I do believe if we're faithful that He will work through everything. He will open the doors. He will lead us and guide us. And when we take action, when we step out in faith, when we ask that young lady on the date, 
when we go on that common sea, when we make that decision in our life, we don't know the end of the story, but action produces clarity. It helps us know a little bit more. It helps lead us and guide us to the next step God is calling us to. And so I'd just like to encourage you all in your own journey uh, just to keep praying. What are those peripheries in your life? Who are those peripheries? Who are those people who God is inviting you to go to and share His truth and love with? Who are those people in your midst? What is the comfort zones that the Lord's inviting you out of in your life? And what are those places where God wants to work in you to help you grow in that love and that truth that He has for you in your person? It's really great to be with you here. I'm excited that you're here tonight. And I'll continue to pray for you and bless you in your own journeys. And uh, thank you very much. Questions, Brandon? Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have any questions? I don't know. It's, or any comments or thoughts? Anything you want to share? Yeah. I have a couple of questions. I'll throw them out there. Answer whatever you want. All right. Sounds good. Um, how is it possible 20 years you've been a choir of Franciscan? You must have joined when you were like 12 to 15. Thank you. Another one is. Yeah, I've got friends that are, you know, pro-choice, and they're kind of nasty, and I have a hard time communicating with them. You know, how do you, you know, how, how do I bridge that gap? How do I communicate with people that are so yeah. far out there and kind of angry, and, you know, I don't want to get into that kind of debate with them. Yeah. And then the last question is, uh, you know, you use that, uh, that dirty three-letter word, you know, sex, and I was just wondering why, Please don't talk a lot about that during the homilies because uh, in my offering, I went to Catholic school, and it was only really one year that I remember being taught about that stuff. And I think this is really important for the future. Yeah. Because it becomes a problem and it becomes a debate, and of course, the, uh, the culture that we live in today is 24 hours a day, nonstop, in your face, and whatever you see gets in your head. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's my first question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the comment on my age, too. <laughs> I'm 42, so, you know, I came, came into the community out of college pretty much a couple years out. Uh, yeah, so, but you're, you're, I'm just going to restate your question in case people couldn't hear it. But um, your first question was about, you know, some people, some of us have pro-choice friends, or pick any issue, perhaps, that people feel strongly about. Maybe these people are kind of nasty at times or argumentative at the best. And, and, and how do we communicate? How do we dialogue with them? It's a great question. Um, uh, I would say, um, you know, I think we, yeah, don't end the friendship if possible. Uh, continue trying to engage people coming from different backgrounds in your life because God has sent you, sent them into your path, not in the sense that you're the Savior, but God has a plan for that perhaps. Um, try to I think with I'd like to think that I could sit down at this table and have a beer with somebody who not only was pro-choice but was an escort an abortion clinic and if I did that I would ask them tell me about why you believe what you believe tell me your story 
tell me where you're from. And then I would share my story. Uh, because I think a lot of times it's not so much the intellectual block, it's not so much the, the points block, what blocks us from really having true, authentic Christian dialogue is we get caught up, we, we forget the dignity of the person in front of us, no matter what they believe, if that makes sense. We forget that this person, even if they're misled, even if they're wrong, they do have a story and a background and a reason for believing what they believe. So trying to hear their story, trying to share your story, trying to speak that truth in love and not withhold it, but do it in a way that um, is hopefully loving. Uh, I don't know, that's pretty an inadequate answer. You probably get better answers from a lot of other folks here, but that's one thought. The second question was, um, I'm trying to remember, okay, sex, yeah, yeah. Sex is a good word. God made sex good, you know, it's a gift. And being in the parish, working with families, um, I've really come to appreciate the gift and the teaching of human sexuality that the church gives, um, you know, and come to appreciate that. And you're right, we do not preach about it enough. We do not preach about the goodness of the gift of our sexuality. And sometimes we don't preach about the hard issues of sexuality. You know, the issues of how sexuality is reserved for the marriage covenant. When, two, when a man and a woman have already made this permanent, irrevocable commitment, then they can give the gift of their bodies to each other. We don't talk about that. We should. We don't talk as much as we should about contraception. You know, and honestly, recently I was just listening to a great talk on it and really coming to realize how it affects so many areas of life and it affects so many parts of our culture in so many ways. And um, so uh, your point is well taken. We need to really speak that. We need to preach it. Um, and um, uh, I'm certainly praying about ways I can do that, and I hope other priests are as well. So thanks for your questions. Yeah. So... In your view, what is the best way of uh, sort of communicating um, our faith to, uh, to uh, outsiders, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. What is the best way of communicating our faith to outsiders? Yeah. Um, it, it piggybacks a little on what I've said, but I, I do believe in the power of sort of our personal testimony, our story. You know, sharing why I believe. Sharing what the Lord has done in my life trying to share what, why I am in the place I am, why I've embraced the faith I've embraced. I think that's very powerful, uh, trying to share that. I think, uh, you know, I just, I, I always think it's funny when people say the two things you shouldn't talk about are faith and politics. I think aren't those two of the most important things in life? The problem is we don't know how to talk about them. We're threatened, we're scared. But can we talk about them with people? Can we engage in dialogue? And we try to share that. So sharing our story, um, trying to engage people um, in Scripture, I think is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. as a, as a powerful way of opening people up in life. Um, trying to uh, share the beauty of... And, and there's so much... The other thing that comes to mind is the media. You know, I know the Arlington Diocese has this... Uh, some of you have seen Forum, probably... The Forms Network, it's kind of like a Catholic Netflix. Um, uh, you can get on through your parish for free and get all these talks, all these great speakers. If you're interested in it, ask, check it out, type in Formed. Uh, you know, and there's just these great opportunities to hear talks and lectures 
and, and, and actual videos where you can receive dynamic church teaching. And uh, Catholic videos are less cheesy than they ever were before. <laughs> they actually have some uh, cinematic value, you know? So, you know, that can be really engaging in our culture where the media is so important. Yeah? How and when do you know what is your vocation in life? It's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know because I can't tell you the definitive moment. I, 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 but I, what I can say this. I think a vocation is a growing conviction. A growing conviction of the place where you can give of yourself to the Lord and to the world. And that's why it's messy. Because it has to grow in you. A plant, when we see a plant, we notice the stem and the flowers. We forget about the roots that are underneath the soil. We need the roots to be formed before the external can come up and form. And so a lot of us, it takes a while because we need healing in our roots. We need um, God's truth in us so that we can receive that gift of a vocation. I think some signs you can know that you're going in the right direction is that you're growing. That you're growing in your faith. That you're growing in your relationships. That you're growing in your prayer life, even if you feel like your prayer life isn't great. But you kind of know, I'm growing in a relationship with the Lord. I think that that's a good sign that you're on the right path. I remember for me as a Franciscan, the, the celibacy was one of the big questions. I was like, I'm not sure about this. And so I said, Lord, if I'm going to live a celibate life, you're going to have to give me a conviction that I can do it. And one day I did, I woke up, and I knew in my mind, I knew that I would always experience attractions, I would always experience that pull, and the gift of my sexuality, but I knew in my heart that God was giving me the grace to live for Him as my spouse. And that's when I knew that I could live my vocation as a Franciscan and as a priest. Don't know if that helps, but those are your thoughts. I'm going to give you all a blessing then, if that's okay. Lord, I just ask for blessing upon every person here. Thank you for them. Thank you for the way they're already living your gospel in their lives. I just pray that you would transform them, and strengthen them, and be with them. I pray for any here who are struggling, Lord, that they would know that you are right there with them, that you are close to them, that they would be placed in your sacred heart. I pray for all the staff here. I pray for all who are working here, or those in the other part of the restaurant tonight, those in Arlington, those wherever they are, Lord. I pray for your evangelization, your love to touch them, to reach them. Help them to know that they too are called to the fullness of life and love. And I ask your blessing upon each person here this night and always in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.